my question is, have you ever asked God why? Have you? I know, I know for me, I know for me that that is a resounding yes. I have asked God why. Why this? Why that? Or why not, right? It, it, it can work both ways. Why not? And um, I'm hoping this morning that as we go to the Word of God, we're going to find something that is going to help us with those questions. Are you ready, church? Are you ready online? I know you're probably already out of the comments because you've got your Bible open and your notepad next to it and you're ready to take some notes. But if you are yet to do that, why don't you just say, I'm ready in the chat. That will help Pastor Jess know that you're engaged this morning. But we're going to pray. Father, this morning, help us to receive your word. We know your word says that it will go out and never return void. So I pray that. Right now, you'd help us to prepare the soil of our heart to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 4, 26 to 29. Three short, powerful verses of scripture. It says this. Actually, that's four. That's four verses. You, get, you count the first one. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Great word uh, this morning, great little parable from Jesus, and we're going to dig some things out of here this morning. You like my little, little use of the, anyway, you missed it, it's all right, I'm moving on. Who, who grew up playing Cluedo? Yeah, yeah, come on. I loved Cluedo, right? Like this mystery to solve, and I'm quite strategic. Uh, some of you would now know if you're strategic or not. You would know some strengths of your personality, having done our discovery sessions. But I'm quite strategic, and so Cluedo was a game that I loved. Didn't quite get to Monopoly status. Anyone else have that home breaker uh, in their house? Um, yeah, just destroyer of families. That's the nickname of Monopoly, but... For, for me, Cluedo was also really great, right, uh, where Colonel Mustard, you know, he did it with the, with the lead piping in the conservatory. I don't know, Miss Scarlet, maybe. Uh, but what I loved about Cluedo was there was this mystery that we had to solve. And if you asked all the right questions at all the right times to all the right people, you would come to the right answer. And you would have all of the information available, and then you would really hope that you were the one that rolled the dice and were able to navigate to those central steps to get to the little hidden, the little envelope with the, the three cards inside, um, and, and then you would be like, the, the reveal, you would pull them out, and you would be like, bam, 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 nailed it. No, just me? All right. You were all, you were all way less competitive, and so you were all apologizing for being correct. Am I right? Am I right? All gracious, didn't make you siblings cry when you destroyed them at board games. Um, I was the one that was made to cry. Just so you know, I was the youngest, and so I'm just reaping all of my revenge on my children at the moment. 
Although I will say this, Addison beat me for the first time in chess the other day. It was a sobering moment. You can applaud in his absence, um, but I made sure I destroyed him the next time we played. It's good, even that balance out. I will talk about uh, being a loving father next week in Father's Day, but this week is the other side of the coin where you will not beat me, my son. Um, you know, these parables that we're looking at, we've got to remember that Mark is writing this post-experience, okay? So, so within, obviously, the, the sort of the 30, 40 years after Jesus and him walked around, um, or he didn't, this is written by John Mark, but his, him and his disciples, we, we remember from our, episode, our season one of Mark that, that this is most probably uh, written by John Mark uh, according to Peter's recollection, Peter's account of walking with Jesus, okay? We know that John Mark and Peter hung out a lot, uh, and so scholars would say that the Mark is John Mark, and that what we're reading is what Peter has, has told him about his experiences of walking with Jesus. And so we have to have some accurate expectations um, of the scripture that we're reading, okay? We should not have the expectation that it is written to us in perfect chronological order. It's not what it's attempting to do, okay? Mark is writing for us with a purpose, telling a story from a particular perspective for a a certain purpose. And so it's worthwhile knowing that so that we can approach our reading of Scripture with some healthy parameters around expectation. Because if we grow up or we mature expecting certain books in the Bible to do certain things, then when they don't, and we are at an immaturity within our faith, it can be somewhat disruptive. Because now we, rather than realizing that the Word of God is the Word of God, We think, oh, well, it didn't do what I expect, so now I'm going to question the word rather than questioning ourselves and our approach. Okay? Uh, Maybe maybe rather than questioning this, go and and dig a little deeper, go and do some study, go and level up a little bit. There's there's lots of free stuff out there that is really good. You can come talk to your pastoral team and be like, hey, I want to dig a bit deeper into the book of Mark. Where should I go? I can give you loads of stuff. But these parables that we're reading are not necessarily in chronological order, but Mark has intentionally grouped them as he is writing because we're at a point in his story where we know that that Jesus has been revealing himself, revealing his deity, revealing his authority, and and, and now revealing that he has come to institute a new way, uh, what is the the kingdom of heaven here on earth, uh, a new way to have relationship with God. And as a part of that, Jesus is communicating that this new way has some new uh, approaches because he's speaking, Jesus is predominantly speaking, right, to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel has parameters around their approach. It's called the law. They're used to this. They're quite committed to this. And for them to enter into this new relationship with God, this new way of, of this new access that Jesus is about to open up, they need to get that there's some new parameters And so now what Mark is doing for us is he's putting a whole group of these together because he's like, these ones are all relatable. So let's let's read them all together. Let's pull out what we can. And and, and episode one of season two, we talked about the key. The key, the parable of the sower being, being by Jesus' own mouth, the key to understanding so much more of his teachings. And then who who liked Pastor Jess's message last week? So good, right? Just, just at a level, bringing us a level deeper into the Word of God. She did a fantastic job. I get to launch out of that now into this, this, little, this little parable, uh, equally agricultural, 
and uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, being a being a passionate gardener, uh, I love looking at this and thinking, "Yep, you know what? I look at my trees and oh, there's fruit. I don't know how that happened, right? But there it is. We're gonna. Yeah, whoop, there it is. Um, and so and so even even as we approach this book, we have to understand that this book has a genre. Okay. This book that we're reading, Mark, yes, it's narrative in nature, uh, but it's actually more than that, okay? It's more than that, and, and within the narrative nature of the book of Mark, we have to understand that there are then equally these segments of different linguistic techniques, parable being one of those, okay? So we should have different expectations when we read a parable than when we read a recount even though they're in the same narrative book, okay? Okay, so that's really important, or we will expect to read direct truth in a parable as opposed to hidden truth in a parable in the same way that we might read direct truth in an epistle from Paul where he is outlining specifically deliberate theology for us to understand. And so we can ask different questions of parables that we might not ask of teaching that Paul gives us. And it's important to know this. It's important to, to enter into the Word of God being like, I'm reading a parable. Okay, I've got to dig into this a little bit. I've got to ask some questions. I've got to think about this. There's a mystery in here for me to, for me to unveil. And actually, as we've already learned, I have permission to unveil it, but I get, I get to engage in it. And this is what Pastor Jess was talking about last week. The more we engage, the more we get out. The more we lean in, the more we learn, okay? So I'm hoping that we are going to pull three specific things out of this today, okay? I'm telling you from the top, I'm aiming for three points. I know it's different for me, but we'll see how we go. I'm going to tell you them at the top, all right? I'm going to tell you my three points right now, all right? Are you ready for this? Have you got a pen? I really encourage you to get a pen, or, or, or you can have a notepad, or you could write even in your Bible, I know, I know. Some of you are like, oh, that's a bit sacrilegious. Um, I write all over my Bible because then when I open it at a certain passage, I'm reminded of the revelation that came with that passage, all right? Because who knows that we, we need to hear something multiple times for it to actually begin to do a work in us. It's no good just glazing over, oh, I've read, I've read the parables, so I know that, blah, blah, blah. It hasn't actually changed anything in you, but you know it, right? That is a really dangerous uh, level of approach to the Word of God, to not actually allow it to get in you. So, my three points, here we go. Number one, responsibility. Responsibility. You're like, how does that relate? Did I just get real loud? I felt like I just got real loud. Point number two, responsibility. Point number two, mystery. Mystery. And point number three, and I'll be honest, I worked really hard to like get this with like a a, 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 a bit of a rhyme on the end of it, right? I'm like, I can't give them two points that are like E ends and not a third one. So this one will need a little explanation, but that's all right, we'll get there. The third point is simplicity. Responsibility, mystery, simplicity. That's where we're going this morning, okay? So, starting at verse 26, responsibility. It says, the farmer sows the seed. If you remember back to episode one, we have, we have to sometimes remind ourselves that we can be every character in a parable. We can relate to all. Sometimes we get stuck, like for many years, I was the prodigal son, 
until I'd been in church for a while, and then I realized I was the oldest son. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I realized that I was actually also supposed to be the father welcoming, right? Um, like there's, there, there's stuff we can pick up from every character. There is only one character in this story. I don't know if you've noticed that. The farmer. So, so it's difficult to see ourselves as anyone else in this parable. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the responsibility of the farmer? It's very simple, actually. The responsibility of the farmer is to sow the seed. And so this parable is pretty clear that there is a responsibility that sits on us as believers to sow the seed of the gospel, to sow the seed of the word of God. We have a responsibility to be sowers. It's hard to sow what you haven't collected. The word of God says that, Jesus, uh, that God gives seed to the sower. It's speaking in a context of generosity, but it applies in this place as well. If you aren't collecting the seed of the gospel, if you aren't collecting the seed of the word of God, it is very difficult to sow what you do not have. And it's, it's, it's pretty clear here that as a farmer, our responsibility is to sow. It's to sow. Now, we can dig into that and go, well, there's preparation and there's time. Yes, all of those things don't just come out. They just go out of this place and start, like, slather sowing the Word of God over people that aren't ready to hear it. Like, there's technique in sowing, okay, to produce effective planting, okay? There's technique, there's, there's nuance, there's wisdom to to be applied to how you sow, all right? But nevertheless, your responsibility is to sow the word of God. It is to sow the gospel. We should never shelve the responsibility on every believer to be a sower. The flip side of that is verse 28, which says, as soon as the grain is ready, sorry, that's verse 29, we're verse 28, the earth produces the crops on its own. So who's not involved? Thank you, Emil McKay. The farmer. The farmer is not involved in any process beyond the sowing. Now, you could argue in Scripture elsewhere, we're told some sow, some water. So maybe you're going to be called to water some seed that someone else has sown. Fair enough. But ultimately, you are not responsible we have a responsibility, but on the flip side, we have to understand there is a whole part of the germination of the kingdom in someone's heart that you are not responsible for, so take your hands off the wheel. Stop trying to force somebody into the kingdom. There is, <laughs> there is a whole part of German. If you have sowed effectively, Okay, in, in, in an environment of love, relationship, wisdom, all of that. If you have sowed effectively, then there is part of the process that involves trust. Don't force it. You can't make a seed in the ground grow into a plant any more than you can make the kingdom of God grow and take root in someone's heart. That is solely the responsibility and the job of the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you remember all the way back to our vision series, it says no one comes to the Father unless he first draws them to him. You, you can't do it. He might use you at some point in the process, but ultimately the germination of the seed you've sown is his responsibility, not yours. So know your responsibility and know what's not your responsibility, all right? 
Psalm 127, it says this. It says, unless the Lord is in it, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds a house, now the translation, the work of the builders is wasted. I don't know how many times we exhaust ourselves trying and trying and trying to get someone to produce something of the kingdom of God in their lives, whether it's salvation or transformation or whatever it is. The truth is it's not, it's not our responsibility. Conviction is the Spirit's job. Okay? Like we gotta, we got to stop telling unbelievers what they can and can't do in this life. It's not our responsibility. Let's try loving people so the Spirit can work through us, so the Spirit can bring the conviction. Paul's very clear, the Spirit convicts. We're not responsible for getting on a soapbox and telling unbelievers what they're doing wrong in their life. They don't believe in Jesus. What they're looking for is love, acceptance, and have a conversation about what you believe and allow the Spirit to do the work. All right, it's not our job to drive and force someone into the kingdom of heaven. It's not our job to be the, the convictor of all people. We should be strong and sound in our conviction. We should walk in a way that our life has integrity. We should walk and live in such a way that we are a shining light, 100%. But don't get on a soapbox and tell someone what they're doing wrong when they don't even have the same belief system as you. Point two, mystery. Mystery. We pick it up in verse 28. It's real key. I don't know if you, if, you, if you noticed it. Right smack bang in the middle of the message. Right smack bang in the middle of Jesus' story. He starts with there's a responsibility on the sower. He ends with it's going to end in a harvest. It's going to be fantastic. But right in the middle, right there where it says in verse 28. Can we throw that up? It says the earth produces the crops on its own, on its own. In fact, if we, if we go back even one more verse, sorry, verse 27, it was actually in my notes. I'm throwing Richard under the bus. He's doing a great job. It says, night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Wow. You know, when, when we talk about playing Cluedo, we have this desire in us as human beings to understand, to figure it out, to know all the answers and be able to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and box everything in a nice little package with a bow on top and be like, boom, 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 boom. Miss Scarlet with a revolver in the billiard room. I don't know what it is, but we like to have all the details. Do you know why we like to have all the details? Because if we have all the details, no one can question us, and therefore our sense of self-value can't be undermined in maybe being wrong or uncertain. And so what we do is we puff ourselves up with knowledge. That's what Scripture says. Why? Because we build our sense of value on our answers. We build our sense of, sense of security on being able to know why, how, and when and so details suddenly become significant for us. Unfortunately, though, central to the kingdom of God is mystery. <laughs> there, is this, there is this quite substantial, 
vein right through the middle of the kingdom of God that says, you won't understand. Do you know where it starts? Right at the beginning, <laughs> when God already was. What? That doesn't compute. He, the God who is and always will be, but like my framework of time and space does, doesn't allow for a level of understanding. Let's go with, um, let's go with the Father created, the Son spoke, and the Spirit hovered, but they're all God. Let's just go with the Trinity. Let's just start with who do we believe? God, explain who he is. Ah, I can't. In fact, as close as God got to describing himself in a way Moses would understand, he goes, um, I am. You are what? Um, well, I am. I, uh, no, just I am, Moses. That's, that's, just, that's the level. It's all encompassing. Stop trying to figure it out. It's not what it's about. We have to embrace mystery. We have to embrace the fact that we're not going to understand. We're not going to understand how God is at work in the hearts of somebody. We, we're not going to understand. You might not see it on the surface. Think of the farmer. He gets up every day. He looks at his field. Nothing. What's going on? I don't know. Is it working? I don't know. I'm going to keep doing what, what God told me to do, right? So I'm going to go under the fertilizer, a bit of water. I'm going to keep loving that person. I'm going to keep being kind. I'm going to keep being generous. I'm going to keep living with integrity. I'm going to keep shining my light, okay? If there's a conversation about Sunday, I'm going to be honest. I went to church and it was great. I'm not going to try to force them across. Hey, let's quick, let's play a sinner's prayer right now. Let's get you across the line. They're going to be like, oh, wow, I'm so out. Like, and, and that person's going to be out for like the next 15 or 20 years of their life, all right? I remember, I remember once, New Year's Eve, um, had, had some people over at my place and uh, one of the guys that was there, his, his sister, um, she had had a few too many drinks uh, New Year's Eve, and she was in a bit of a mess, and uh, we were talking out the front of the house, and uh, you know, <clears throat> I was probably overzealous uh, in this season of my life, didn't always make great choices in, in terms of this whole side of things, and you know, I got it right to the point of the sinner's prayer, and I'm out the front, and I'm, I pray this after me, she can't even talk, right, it's like mumbling. She's incoherent. I reckon I got her in the kingdom, though, you know, like, just, just drove that, that right home, you know, took control of the wheel from Jesus. We're getting this done tonight, Jesus, you know, like. Paul speaks so often of the mysteries. And he says the one big mystery has now been revealed. God had a plan the whole time. It was Jesus, right? Jesus himself talks about the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom, and Yes, we've been brought into a place where we're, we are given permission to understand them, but let's be honest, in our, in our human mind, in the frameworks that we have been created within, there are things outside of the scope of our, even our creation that we are just never going to get on planet Earth. We're never going to understand the concept of eternity. We're never going to understand the, 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 the Trinity. Does that mean we don't dig? Of course not. Of course not. doesn't mean we don't in, engage Okay, but we have to understand that we are engaging, not like Cluedo, not to be able to dot every I and cross every T and be able to go bam, 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 nailed it. That's not like we don't we don't get to get on our soapbox in conversations with people. Paul talks about this all the time. He's like, stop arguing over theology, basically, like summary of some of Paul's letters. Stop arguing over issues that actually don't matter. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you can explain. 
In fact, Paul's like, wise words? Let's, let's actually, let's, let's let the Spirit speak in demonstrations of power. Because there will always be elements that you can't explain. We get to lean in, we get to explore knowing we'll never arrive at the full understanding. And there is a beauty in mystery. There's a beauty in knowing that for the rest of our lives, there's going to be ongoing exploration. Like we think about the world, right, and what drove explorers to go out. It was to discover the undiscovered. And we're at a point where a lot of our world is discovered, right? And the idea of being an explorer, how, how kind of the, the value or the prestige is that has fallen off. You know, now people are having to do crazier and crazier and crazier things just to kind of be like, I'm, I'm out there doing something no one's ever done before. And yet before us, there is the mystery of the kingdom. And no matter how much we explore, we will never plumb the depths. Paul just says you'll never plumb the depths just of God's love. Just one one part of, of the kingdom, just his love. I pray that you would be overwhelmed, yet I know you'll never get it fully. It's basically what Paul says. The problem is that we're human. And so questions like how and why are really important to us. And even though they're not our primary goal, they still rise up in us. And they can actually become the focus of our pursuit. So we can turn our pursuit of Jesus from desiring deeper and deeper relationship in this never-ending, never-bounded expanse of his love and his complexity. And we can turn that pursuit into needing to know why or needing to know how. And so now we're on a pursuit of answers, not relationship. And what happens with that is that relational depth stops at the moment you start pursuing answers over connection, over intimacy, over relationship. I want to use an example, and I am not about to open a can of worms. I'm not, this is not a theological discussion at all. Said, but we open up Genesis and we have, uh, I, will, I will stop short of using the word recount. We have a description of creation. In Hebrews, we are told that it is by faith we believe God created the world. Now, my own stepfather, whose birthday it is today, I know his understanding of creation drove him. It became a make or break. It became a bedrock of his faith. And there was a time when I admired that until I realized that I was also concerned about that. Because I was worried that if anything ever came up that was significant enough to disrupt that, how strong was the relationship? I know people that have built their whole faith on Jesus on different aspects of the kingdom of heaven that they believe they have got to a point of being able to fully understand and fully prove. And, and I want to say to you this morning in the most pastoral shepherding way that if that's you, just be careful. Just be careful that the strength of your faith is built on the relationship you have with a living God, 
not on your ability to be able to explain, understand, and prove one component of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I believe God created the world 100%. How? I, I don't know. And for me, I'm a bit different. I don't need to. I don't need to. I know that's not everyone. And so again, I'm not getting into a, a debate here, but there are things that I have pursued more so because I am more interested. But let's make the main thing the main thing. We'll never know how God created. We'll never know how God drew you to salvation. We'll never know how God's going to return. We'll never know how God heals. We'll never know how God defeated Satan. We get some detail around those things, but the truth is there's mystery in all of that. When we read Scripture and Jesus is like, I saw Satan fall from heaven and we're trying to put the timeline together, thinking that somehow Scripture is made for us to be able to chronologically date the entire of eternity. I mean, what are you trying to fit Scripture into? not there to do that this is a guide to a relationship of love with a living God some some questions we ask carry a bit more pain though right like why did God allow tragedy pain suffering why why didn't God heal protect save intervene? Why didn't God stop me from doing that? Why didn't God stop that situation or that circumstance? Or, or why would God allow? I read an article in the news the other day where a young lady going through COVID began to deconstruct her faith because she couldn't resolve the question as to why God would allow a pandemic. I'm not here to give you an answer to that question because I don't think an answer to that question is actually what we're supposed to pursue. I want to tell you first and foremost, it is 100% okay to have questions. It is okay to question. It is okay to talk to God in the beauty of the relationship you have with Him about why. You want to read Job, the book that is all about pain, suffering, and what appears to be unfair, unjust pain and suffering in someone's life. And I'll tell you, Job has questions. The issue is that so often these questions become a barrier to our relationship with Jesus. We can't get past them. We can't get past why. And what we do is we we, we create these barriers out of expectation and when expectation is not met, we're like, why didn't that happen, God? Why didn't I get that job? Why haven't I met the right person by now? Why haven't I been able to fall pregnant? Why did, why did I lose that job? Why did that person do that thing to me? Why, God? And our relational pursuit stops at that point. And it's as if we can't get past it. The problem is, you may never know an answer that is going to satisfy you. And what you're doing is limiting the one that can console you and strengthen you. And you have to get to a point where you are willing to hold the mystery of the kingdom, which will involve pain 
and suffering. We know. We know because the greatest mystery articulated in Scripture involves the death, the brutal death of the Son of God. Why did it have to be that way? Mystery. We stop relationship at the point of our why and our need for an answer. The desire for proof actually removes the significance of faith. Because if you have proof, you don't need faith. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we're not called to live by answers. We're not called to live by proof. We're not called to live by uh, being able to explain or understand. Actually, we are called to live by faith. We are called to be a people that are willing to allow our Father in heaven to hold the mystery, to hold the pain and the suffering, and to trust Him with it, knowing we may never understand why. We may never understand how. Our choice is what we do with that and what we are going to allow it to do to us. One Corinthians three five to seven says this: it says after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that God gave us. I planted the seed in your heart. Apollo watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. I can't help but think that Paul has looked over this teaching of Jesus, heard the disciples talking about this parable, and he's referencing it right here. The how, the why, doesn't matter as much as what God is doing in it. What God is doing in you, what God is doing through you and the relationship that you have with Him. What we see from our farmer in this passage is that he keeps moving in the midst of mystery. He says he goes to bed, he wakes up, he says it's nighttime, it's daytime. Step by step, day after day. That's how we journey through mystery. That's how we journey through it. We don't get to avoid it. In this life, there'll be trial. We don't get to avoid pain and suffering. We have a poor theology around pain and suffering, but we don't get to avoid pain and suffering. We get to choose what we do and how we, how we carry it. Will we let it become a blockage? in my relationship with Jesus because I can't receive the love of Christ until I know why. I can't let you work in my life anymore until you tell me why that happened because now I have trust issues because it didn't. Yeah, there's a final point is simplicity. And that, I told you I needed to work hard for this one, but this little parable, these four verses, are a beautiful description of the simplicity of the gospel. These four verses where the farmer 
who scatters the seed on the ground. God, who scatters the very Son of Heaven onto the earth, who goes into the ground and dies so that this harvest might grow. Scripture tells us that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it's Jesus. This parable is pointing us back to Jesus. It's pointing us back to what He's done for us. It's pointing us back to the fact that when He he came, He said yes, and He left heaven and He came to earth, and He knew He was coming with a purpose. And, and as whether it, whether He knew at the beginning or it grew in Him, you know, we can have a theological discussion later. But there's a point He knew that this was ending in His death. And I wonder how much mystery was beyond that point for Him. Did He know? certain that God would raise him from the dead? I would argue that there was mystery in his humanness. Fully human, he didn't want to go through the pain. Fully human, he had to choose to put his faith that his father would raise him from the dead.